Yo, 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 what's going on, fam? It's your boy Todd Diddy, and we are back with another episode of the Cannabis Diversity Report. Today, this is a good one for me. I got my homegirl live from Jersey, my sister, Shirali Patel in the building. Shirali, what's up? Hey, to hear what's up, brother. Hey, man, it's so, so good to see you. For one, um, I want to tell you thank you for everything that you've been doing um, there in New Jersey, um, you know, really helping to make sure that people have been educated and using your experience and background as an attorney to, to really make a difference. I think in New Jersey, we're going to have one of the dopest industries across the country. I'm sure you probably agree with me, but um, tell, tell the folks out there listening a little bit about who you are, um, what's Blaze responsibly, and you know, what, are, what do you do in the industry right now? Sure. So thank you, you know, for having me and thank you for all of the work that you've done for this industry as well. Um, born and raised in New Jersey and professionally, I'm an attorney. And so when I graduated law school, I spent the first few years of my career working for a public service. I worked for Bergen County, Passaic County, and then in the city of Hoboken, I was a prosecutor as well as uh, one of the assistant corporation counsels. And so learned a lot about the politics in the state, navigating municipalities and you know all that good stuff. And then I uh, went on to do uh, class action litigation, complex litigation, where I was one at a firm where we were one of 22 firms that was handling the national opioids litigation. And I had joined the firm because in 2018, I lost one of my friends to an accidental overdose. And so I thought, you know, being an attorney, if I can take advantage of my skill set and try to get onto this lawsuit, I felt that I would be able to, you know, do some justice and do some good work. And so I uh, worked, you know, there for a little over a year and a half, I believe. And now most recently, where I am is Passion Stein, Walter Hayden, and Hackensack, where I help uh, consult and, and help entrepreneurs and businesses that want to get into this legal industry in New Jersey. Uh, and so that's, that's a lot of my professional background. And then, um, you know, I've taken a lot of my experiences since 2016 and just really built upon everything that I've learned to create Blaze, Blaze Responsibly. And what Blaze Responsibly really stands for is just, you know, education, um, its best practices. And it's really about empowering individuals because I genuinely believe that if we give out information for free, then we can actually equip individuals to become better operators in this industry. And so um, that's really the work that I'm trying to do through Blaze Responsibly because not everybody can afford attorneys, you know, not everybody can afford consulting services or expensive webinars. And so what I'm trying to do is just share as much free insight, intel um, to the extent possible with the community and just breaking down rules and regulations so that anybody can understand, you know, in New Jersey, for example, when we legalized, people thought, all right, we can go and smoke outside. Well, you can't in New York, mm -hmm. legally on the sidewalks, but in New Jersey, you can't. So I, I made a post, you know, where can I blaze responsibly? And it was just like basic information that people want to know now that we legalize and then also like business opportunities and things like that. And so that's really where I'm at right now with blaze um, responsibly. And um, Amy, I don't know if you want me to share what's the next step, but if I can, you know, oh, yeah, go ahead, girl. What's what's tell me what's what's next then? <laughs> I'm really excited about this. Uh, October 9th and 10th, it's going to be a two day free virtual event that's going to be taught exclusively by me. Uh, it's powered by Cookie Social Impact, and it's going to be 10 hours of just information, content. You know, how do we get into this industry? 
tips on how to put together, you know, your application or what to look for when it comes to real estate insurance. And then everybody that attends is going to get a resource guide of vetted individuals that I recommend. And so it's on me. If that individual doesn't perform at par or, you know, you're getting bad advice, that's going to come back on me. And I'm doing it because I want to hold myself to that standard that if you're coming to me for information and for advice, that you're going to get the most accurate um, and reliable information because there's too many people out there that are using this opportunity as a money grab. You know, we've seen in all legalized states where it's like everybody wants to make as much as you can and it's it, it leads to predatory practices. And so I'm trying to protect my community by giving out free information. And so in hopes that, you know, they take it and at least do something with it instead of just um, disregarding it because that happens a lot. <laughs> Right. And, you know, first of all, I got to tell you, that's so dope for you to be um, spreading that knowledge for free. I know that you're an attorney. You get paid for this. It's how you pay the bills. But you're still, you know, taking that step and that responsibility to put that out in your community. So that's that's super dope. Got to tell you, I love seeing you with that that cookie social impact team. Shout out to the fam over there, man. Richard, Amanda, my guy, Brandon. You know, like I said, it's a great partnership. Y'all doing um, great work. I love to see that. Um, and then also, you know, it's interesting, like you said, you've had this journey where now um, you, you've had like this experience in different parts of your legal career that helped to like, you know, help you in what you're doing now. Like that litigation, litigation was a big is a big part of cannabis. Yes. Um, and then also, like you said, starting out as a prosecutor. Right. What was what was that experience like as a prosecutor? Um, you know, being on the other side, because I'm sure you maybe had to, you know, you've seen the other side of the war on drugs having to, to prosecute people. What was it about that experience that made you say, OK, I need to like do something different and get to the other side? And, and how does that really impact the work that you do now? Absolutely. Um, so, you know, even when I decided to take the position as a as a prosecutor, I was aware that these positions come with power. And it's very easy to abuse the power. And I and I made a choice that if anybody came to me for a cannabis related offense, which they did, I would do everything I could to work with them. And fortunately, in my in my brief time that I was there, I never sent anybody away to for to jail for a cannabis related related offense. Um, you know, a lot of people we were able to do whether it was a pre-trial intervention or a conditional discharge or offer probation, community service. Um, but the most insightful thing for me was a gentleman who came to me one day and said, you know, I can't afford this fine. It's too much. I'll just go to jail for three days and you can give me the credit. Mm. And I said, there is no way I'm going to send you to jail because you can't pay a fine. And I was fortunate that the judge was very, you know, understanding. And we did a payment plan as little as $10 a month for this gentleman. I said, can you afford $10 a month? He said, yes, I can. I was like, all right, well, that's it. Even though it was, you know, it was a $300 fine, it would take him a couple months to pay off the fine, or it would take him some time to pay off the fine. It was doable. And I realized that anybody who's a prosecutor is in a, a position of authority and has discretion when it comes to sentencing. And typically the judges, for the most part, you know, if it's a fair and reasonable sentence, the judges are going to really approve it. And so I was lucky that I got to work in a courtroom that was understanding. They wanted to give people second chances. But I also saw on the flip that the system works against people who look like us. It's not set up for people like us to succeed. And, you know, from a reform standpoint, we've we've failed tremendously um, because we're not rehabilitating individuals, sadly. 
right? Where it's not like they're able to go to jail and prison and take courses while they're there and come out with the skill set and quickly get a job that will meet their income level. We're, we're sending people away and then expecting them to bounce back and expecting them to take, you know, entry level positions when they were making potentially six figures on the streets, right? It's just, we have a lot of work to do. Um, and so my experience there was profound in that I saw all the flaws in the, in the holes. And I know that there are people out there, especially in the judiciary that want to make reform and they want to make changes. And so, you know, I'm actively working on hopefully community development programs and just solutions, alternatives to things like probation, because, you know, if anybody's been on probation, when it comes to your PO, it's very uh, subjective. It's not objective, right? The POs can kind of do whatever they want. They can, it, it's just, the system needs a lot of work. <laughs> and so my takeaway from that whole experience is that, you know, everything I'm going to do, I, I lead by my heart and I make sure, and I'm going to try to make sure that I can help as many people as I can and being taking advantage of my role as an attorney, I can actually have a say in trying to change some of these systematic, you know, um, regulations that we've had in place for years now. Right. And, that, you know, that's so important. Um, you know, and cannabis reform is such a key part of criminal justice reform. You think about so many things and in police interactions in our community that can start as a you being searched for cannabis or the smell of cannabis. And then you end up being searched for guns and crime, all, all other types of things. So I think you taking that approach and like restorative justice is is certainly something important and it's inspiring. You know, I'm always you know, I, I think that people that are in the legal um, profession are, are certainly one of the one of the key parts of the industry. And, you know, it's good to see you doing all that type of work you've been doing. Thank you. Yeah, we got to work together. Right. We got to collaborate. I mean, anybody that's got either worked in the courtroom or within the legal framework, we're aware that there's issues or it's nothing's perfect and it probably never will be perfect. But I think acknowledging that this system isn't set up for success and that it hasn't been working for years. Um, I think that, you know, I'm just, I'm hoping that through the Bar Association and just general networking with other attorneys and telling them about the issues and how we can actually work together is gonna lead to solutions eventually and hopefully soon. Right, and speaking of the um, Bar Association, you have a role for um, New Jersey's Bar Association, right? What are you What are you doing over there? Yeah, super exciting. I'm in year three now, so I'm one of the executive members for the Cannabis Law Committee, and I'm also the co-chair with Tisha Adams for the Social Justice and Equity Subcommittee. So we are hoping to have, you know, an open line of communication with the CRC, trying to share recommendations on how they can possibly roll out some of the initiatives when it comes to social equity, giving our feedback on the regulations, um, and really trying to increase diversity, right? Not just for the industry, but also in the legal profession when it comes to I mean, I want to see more African-American attorneys. I want to see more Indian attorneys, right? More Latina attorneys that are giving our clients advice versus because we understand our community's um, hardships, right? And it's easier for us to connect. So it's it's both about ensuring that our industry in, in New Jersey when it comes to cannabis is actually the best when it comes to social equity. And that's going to take some work, obviously, but also making sure that we can try to create some diversity inclusion within the bar itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and diversity and inclusion is so important because, and this is why I love doing this show, because we have the opportunity for people to see folks that look like us and, and inspire and influence each other and that next generation of folks to to come behind us. And I think it's important because 
you know, like you said, Indian culture, we certainly don't see enough, um, enough. We don't see enough black folks in cannabis. We don't see enough brown folks of all types in cannabis. Right. And so for you, um, you know, how, what has, could you tell me a little bit about like, how is your Indian culture, you know, how does that influence, you know, you know, what you do in cannabis? And I know historically, like there's a long history of like cannabis, like with India, but what's that like present day and, and how does all that inform what you do today? Yeah, it has a lot to do with what I, you know, why I do what I do. Um, and a lot of it's been self-taught because when I grew up and I was raised in the household that I was, it was very old school, traditional, you know, just about education and man-made religion beliefs. Um, and cannabis wasn't a part of that. But when I started to learn about Hinduism and researching, I realized that supposedly, or my belief, um, you know, our God Shiva created cannabis. It's in our ancient texts. It's in the Vedas. It's in our Bhagavad Gita. It's it's noted as an herb, um, a healing herb, essentially one of five plants that's considered sacred in our textbooks. And that, that goes back thousands of years. And it's been in our ph pharmacology. Um, India has been using it as Ayurvedic reasons when it comes to pain relief, as a cough suppressant or ex you know expectorant. Um, and it's just crazy because it's like we've we've had so many years of use, documented use. And now it's in India, it's really more seen as it's for um, the individuals, the, I don't know what the, uh, if there's an English term for them, but the sadhus or the priests, the guys who go and they detach from all material things in life and they go and they just meditate, they consume a lot of cannabis and they meditate. And it's, con it's considered that that's a way to connect with God, higher source energy. And so it's very much in our actual culture and religion. And what happened though was, uh, and we were, we have cannabis growing and hemp growing all over in, in our country in India and it's spread out and it's just naturally growing. And um, back in, you know, historically the British invaded India and, you know, they had taken over. And when we won our independence back after, so while they took over, they controlled all the hemp production. And they decided to, you know, import it back or export it back to their country. And a lot of um, my people were taken as indentured servants to the Caribbeans who took the herb with them. So that's why we have a lot of mix in the Guyanese, in Trinidad. You have a lot of mix with Indian culture. But um, after we won our independence and, the, and India signed a treaty with the U.S., U.S. at the time had banned cannabis at the federal level. And so if we wanted to do uh, trade with them, at the federal level, India also had to ban cannabis. And so at the federal level, it was banned, but it's state by state, just like we have it here. And it's actually considered Ayurvedic formula. So you can legally now go and purchase um, directly from the government hemp and you can make products. It's a whole process and it's, um, you know, a lot of steps. It's not easy. It's not like anybody can just go. It takes a lot of work and infrastructure. Um, and you need to do it the right way. But there are companies that are taking advantage of it now. But um, just to bring it back to me, it's it's important to educate my community about the usage and the in the history of cannabis and our culture and what it's done for our people and how our people were deprived of it at one point in history. And that, you know, we've suffered and not as much as other ethnic groups have, but we certainly have. And I feel like we deserve a chance to be in this industry because it's ancient and sacred to our religion. Um, and I think when my parents decided to come here, you know, they were just teaching us to fit in. You know, you fit in, you do as you're told, and you just try to grind and you work hard so that you can elevate the family name. And 
part of that meant you just, you don't do things that are taboo and cannabis was one of those things. So, you know, now it's certainly changed uh, in my family household at least. Um, but my husband, for example, you know, I'm not going to share his full story, but he grew up very humble beginnings. Um, it was very much, you know, in the streets um, and had got caught up with some stuff in college. He was young and, you know, everybody makes mistakes. So, but he, he went through the system. And so I saw firsthand that, you know, even him as an Indian man, like you're, you still get profiled. I don't know if people remember after 9-11, they couldn't, they weren't able to distinguish who was what, right? Anybody mm -hmm. who's brown was like considered a, a terrorist, honestly. Mm -hmm. And that's what happened to my brothers, my husband, you know, people I love. And so it was just crazy to see that one, not only was, you know, the plant was involved when everything happened with him, but it's like to see him go through the process and how it failed him and how that prevent and how a record prevented him then, even though he had a degree to actually get a job with what he wanted. Right. And so I feel like my community has suffered. We just don't have a voice in this space. Right. And so I feel like I want to do as much as I can and use as many platforms now to kind of share that listen, we've had trauma and we've all had trauma. Why don't we collect together and stand up together and try to just, you know, if there's enough for everybody to eat, I think we try to be so divisive, like has to be this group and it has to be this group. It's like, everybody is allowed to share their stories, but I think that everybody has an equal right to this industry. Yeah. And you know, that's so important. Like you said, there's, there's so much space for everybody to win, especially amongst us. There's no reason to fight. We got a whole whole big uphill battle, you know what I mean, to, to fight against. And we're definitely stronger working together. Um, you know, I think it's something you said was super important because it shows the ripple effects of the war on drugs, right? Like that, that make prohibition here caused other countries that were in treaties with the United States to have to make it illegal there. And there, you know, it's, it, it really disrupts the entire culture. And it shows how, you know, that stigma really that we have to work with, um, you know, it just really impacts everything you do. So, you know, always applaud people that have been, you know, cause I know it's not an easy thing. I'm sure, especially for you as an attorney professionally to, you know, like be doing cannabis, right. You know, it's, it's a super serious profession and I know what that's like coming out of finance. So, you know, big ups on that for real. Thank you. Um, yeah. yeah you know, I, I know. Now, what were you going to say? I was going to say, it's not right. Like even in my profession, it's like, a couple a couple years ago when I was like, I'm going to do this. They were like, why? why do, you want, do you want to associate your name with that? You ruin your career, Shirali. <laughs> exactly. Looking good now. I see you on a couple of lists and a couple of tiny lists now, though. Play it out. Okay. Right. Exactly. Thank you. Yeah. God is good. I mean, you do good work and you keep your head down and eventually, you know, good stuff happens. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, I know one thing I want to hear from you and I'm sure people want to hear. Um, Talk about before before we get into the like specifics, I do want you to talk about some best practices that people applying should do. But um, talk about um, you know, just give some of the basics and like foundation of New Jersey's cannabis law and like the rules. Um, you know, what are some of the different license types? What are some of the things that you like in the legislation? Um, you know, because I like you know, New Jersey's pretty groundbreaking. But you know, what are some of the highlights of it for you? Yeah. So uh, if I can, just before I get into the highlights, I did want to comment that we we did pass the decrim bill. And part of decriminalization meant that police officers can no longer use the smell of cannabis, whether it was burnt or raw, uh, as a prob as the probable cause to search or seize your property. And that's a huge that's huge. Right. Because that was the whole thing. 
they would pull you over and like, oh, smells like now I'm going to search your whole car and your belongings and everything. And, you know, now they're saying you can't. And so I think that's going to lead to a lot of um, decrease in interactions, right, between law enforcement and individuals. So I just wanted to add that we do at least have some protections in place and that um, all of those pending and and prior convictions are going to be dealt with, whether they're expunged, dismissed. Obviously, people aren't going to get back the money and time they serve, but that's where the legalization bill comes in. And that's where we're hoping we can see, you know, some changes. And so in New Jersey, we have our legislation allows for six different license categories, the traditional cultivation, manufacturing, retail, and then we added wholesale distribution and delivery. So those are the total, those are the full license categories that we can apply for. And then they've carved out um, different statuses and different um, micro licenses. So for smaller entrepreneurs who want to have a smaller square feet, smaller team, um, you know, they're creating micro licenses and micro licenses are reserved exclusively. 100% of equity has to be held by New Jersey residents. Now I'm not going to get into the, the legal discussion with how that's potentially problematic because other states have said that residency requirements that are in favor of in-state to the detriment of out-of-state is a violation of the Dormant Commerce Clause and that it's mm-hmm. unconstitutional. So we may see some changes when it comes to that micro-license language, but um, those are the smaller license uh, category availabilities. And then we have what's called a conditional license, which you can get as a for a full and as well as a conditional micro And those are reserved for individuals who have less than, um, as an individual, if you have $200,000 or less as your income in the prior tax year, then you qualify as a conditional applicant. And so at the time of application, you don't necessarily have to have your funding source finalized and you don't necessarily have to have your real estate completely finalized. And they're saying, you know, you, it's a conditional. So you have a couple of parts to the license you may qualify and then they give you like six months to get your fine, you know, your finances and real estate up and locked up, which I think that's a, that's a great step because it's lowering the bar for entry, right? Cause the hardest part in this, one of the hardest parts in this industry is locking real estate and it's very expensive. And for somebody who has, you know, less resources, think about holding onto your lease for a year. I mean, that's just crazy. Right. So versus applying and saying, Hey, I identified a site that I'm potentially going to lock up. And then if you get the license, then you can execute, you know, your lease or your purchase. And that's saving you a lot more um, in resources and money. And so we have conditional licenses, micro licenses, a full six license categories. Um, and then we also have some statuses. So they've created a social equity applicant status, which means if you had prior convictions or if you've lived several years in an economically disadvantaged zone, the problem is, is that it doesn't go far enough. Um, and I hope we can get some changes. You know, I, I love the CRC that we have. Honestly, I think they have a lot of work cut out and they've done a great job thus far. But all they did with the social equity status was give it a priority and review, which means if the state decides to open up their application period, say for 60 days and you apply day 45, your application gets you know placed on the top of the pile as far as review. So it's priority and review. But I would love to see and I'm going to recommend that there's points associated, right? Like these are people who serve time or paid fines. I mean, are we really just going to give them priority and review? Like there's, there needs to be a little bit more. And I really don't think that anybody that's gone through this system for cannabis should be paying any fees, period. They already paid fees. They paid time. They paid in time mm-hmm. and, and fees and, and, and years that they will never get back. So are we still as a, at a state level going to say, hey, you need to, you know, pay $10,000 for an annual fee? 
I mean, at a certain point when they're an established business, maybe, but when they're up and running and when they're just trying to get, you know, started, I don't think so. But um, there's, there's a lot of room for changes. And so in New Jersey, the rules that just got released August 19th, they expire next August. And that means a lot, right? That means that everything's subject to change. And right now the CRC, because they're tapping into the State Bar Association, they're tapping into other stakeholders because they want feedback. They want, they want um, gui- you know, guidance on how should we make these rules better? How do we actually make sense of social equity? And because we've seen what happens in other states, they everybody has good intent on paper. And then when it comes to execution, nobody's been able to do it right. And mm-hmm. we see the numbers, right? Like the numbers don't lie at the end of the day when we see how many people own what. So um, I'm fortunate that the state's willing and open for those discussions, but we do have a lot of work cut out. But there are a ton of opportunities in New Jersey, not just from a licensing standpoint, but also like that whole ancillary market, right? All the support services, real estate, HVAC, plumbing, I mean, janitorial services, like you name it, there's a there's a there's a need. For sure. And so, you know, like you said, licenses is just one of the ways that people can be involved in the industry. And I'm always preaching that that ancillary game. But you know, people want to know about these licenses. Everybody they talking about cannabis, like, what do you want to do? I want to own a dispensary, right? So, you know, those folks that are thinking of that, like this is their opportunity to get in the game with that angle. You know, what are some of the things they should be doing to prepare now? Like what are or should have already been done, you know, to be prepared now? Yeah. So um, I will say that anybody that does come to me, I always tell them that there isn't just going to be one licensing round. Right. This isn't like, hey, you know, the state's going to announce we're accepting applications and it's going to be a one and done thing. So I always tell people don't rush it because you're going to fail. You're going to fumble. If you, this is not something that you want to rush. So it's like, think it through and figure out number one, what's your skill set? You know, is it retail? Is it cultivation? Is it manufacturing? And if you don't have that skill set, do you have people around you within your network that you can pull in? Because when you don't have relevant experience, it's so much harder for the state to say, you know, you're going to be a a viable, profitable business, right? And they're not trying to set people up for failure either. So I always recommend having relevant experience. um, And even like for grow, I tell people, you don't have, doesn't have to be cannabis. You could have been growing flowers or lettuce or farming experience, right? Like try to find closely related experience. Um, And then, you know, for retail specifically, it's about your location, so and, and in New Jersey, real estate is expensive and uh, people have been going in and locking up properties for years now. So it is very competitive in, in the real estate market. And it's more competitive when you don't have as many municipalities that's opted in. So your your choices are, um, you know, they're narrowed now. And so it, for whoever is interested in New Jersey, start to identify your top municipalities. Right. Review their ordinances publicly available. Review their zoning map. And see how far do you have to be from a daycare center? How far do you need to be from the you know the police station or from a courthouse? And start to like create your own mini like map about this is a zone that I want to potentially operate in. Um, and figure out your budget, right? Like know how much money am I going to need not only to apply for this license but to cover all of my operational expenses, you know, payroll, everything for two years at least. And, and how much money do I need to have reserved? Because I always recommend having money on the side because you need to have cash on hand to deal with emergencies. Um, if anything, the pandemic definitely taught us if we didn't learn it already being in the industry. So 
Um, those are just a couple of things like a top of mind that I like to tell people just figuring out your means really too, right? Because that's the most important thing, knowing how much you have to work with and what else do you need to incorporate um, and networking. Network as much as possible. Um, a lot of my micro clients need somebody else. So I try to like, you know, connect one with the other and, oh, this person needs a grower or this person needs this experience. So connect with people in the state, reach out to me. I'm happy to connect you, but that, that's just some general advice. For sure. And, and you know, it's a, um, something interesting that you said also, you know, about there's a number of municipalities that have actually opted out. So that definitely um, makes it a little bit more competition and limits the playing field. Um, could you talk a little bit about those um, municipalities that opted out? Um, I know everybody's not as knowledgeable about this as us, but what, what do you think is the reason? Um, well, what is the reason that some of those municipalities opted out and what opportunity do you see in the future? Um, you know, do you do you feel like they're missing um, like they're missing opportunity or, or are they doing doing the right thing by kind of sitting on the sideline? You know, I think that they they had sufficient time to do the right thing. And if anything, in November, when we voted to legalize, every town knows how their residents voted. Right. I think all but out of the 565 municipalities, I don't think there are more than 10 towns that opted out. That's a lot of towns that opted in. And then to look at the flip and see, why aren't you listening to your constituents that voted to legalize this overwhelmingly in support? Um, but I think that, you know, the the New Jersey Association of Counties, the New Jersey League of Municipalities, they put out directives and just general guidance that said um, it might be wetter, it might be better to opt out and wait to see what the CRC rules and regulations look like. And then you can opt back in and or decide at that point. So I think, you know, a lot of them were just listening to the advice that was publicly available. That is the closest source that they have. Right. And so it's about buying time. And I think that a lot of them are going to opt back in now that they see, hey, we not only get to dictate where these businesses go, how what their hours of operations are, how many we have, but we also get to potentially create I mean, RFA, and we may get to take, you know, like a, a fee or not even the fee, you, you, they get tax revenue, 2% of sales, right? 1% on wholesalers. I mean, you're going to get a lot of money in tax revenue. And so I think it's just a matter of them buying time. It's also election year in New Jersey and weird things happen in election year. I don't know why. Um, but so I think that it's just a matter of um, time. And, and I think that, you know, the work that we do with Passion Sign and, and a lot of other attorneys and just groups in New Jersey is going and educating these municipalities and saying, hey, here's the stats, you know, here's what here's what a legal facility looks like. Here's how secure it is and giving them all the information and then alleviating their concerns because most of their concerns are about security or child safety. And it's like, you know, the dealers on the street aren't going to ID your child, but these mm -hmm. just will. Right. So it's like it's just a lot of education and they weren't um, they weren't informed. And so, you know, it's not exactly their fault, but they didn't have access to much information when they had, you know, the months that they did, except for all the public feedback. So I think that I think we're going to see a lot more coming coming live sooner than later. Right. Right. And along with us, like our neighbors in New York, they're you know, they're rolling their program out. They'll be legalized soon. Connecticut, just a little bit up to the north. And we have mass that's already up and running. Um, where do you think New Jersey will fit in like the overall hierarchy of like East Coast cannabis? How are we coming out? I mean, I think we're going to be pretty, pretty much at the top on par with like, I mean, New York is 
you, it's kind of hard to compete with New York the way that the culture is and just the industry there. I mean, you know, New York's had a vibrant market for years, despite legalization. Yeah, New York's pretty big. It might be hard for us to beat them. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but New Jersey, you know, we have a pretty loud market as well. I mean, you know, home of some of the original sour diesel. Like there's a lot of, there's a lot of big cannabis consumers. There's, there's cannabis consumers. There's, there's people who are curious and there's a large population. Right. And so I think that, and New Jersey's a, you know, I don't know if this is a good or bad, but it is kind of like almost the capital of big pharma. There's a lot of pharmaceutical companies in New Jersey. True. And so my hope is that from, at least from a medical standpoint, that our industry actually, um, you know, just, just expands and grows from that standpoint because we have access to the R&D, the facilities and everything already in our home state. Um, and then for the adult use side, I think that the fact that we're going to have, I mean, we have Newark International Airport. So not only is tourism potentially going to boom, right? We have just local municipalities, I think um, people are going to start to embrace it. And I think it's going to be a big market. And I think there's going to be a big craft market here because people in New people in Newark typically know what they want <laughs> and they only want what they like. And uh, there's a, there's a lot of room for innovation here. So mm -hmm. like we have potential to really be one of the top States for sure. Yep. And um, you know, and what else is going on with you? Like how can, how can people keep up with, you know, everything that you're doing um, I know, man, you got a, got quite a lot of different things popping, but, you know, where can people follow up on all of this stuff? Yeah, so they can find me on LinkedIn or you can find me on Instagram or Twitter. You can look me up or, or just reach out to Blaze Responsibly's page. And, you know, I, I talk to everybody and I'm learning that maybe that's not always the best thing because my energy, I got to start protecting it a little bit more. But I love to help people. I love people. Um and if there's anything that I can do for you, whether it's answering a question or like, you know, guiding you down, like I'm, I'm here for the community. I genuinely love the plant. I'm a medical patient myself. I've spent years to educate myself. And so, and I said it before I lead by my heart, you know, I have ethics at the core of me. And so for anybody that's just trying to either curious about the industry, what the opportunities are, or just, just generally wants to connect, you know, please reach out LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, blaze responsibly. And thanks again to here. Nah, for sure, for sure. And anything, anything else you wanna you wanna share or let people know about before we before we head out? No, I mean I hope everybody signs up for the two day event. It's uh, it's free. Like that's it's literally as as good as it will get as far as New Jersey specific information. You'll get resources. So please tap in. Um, you know, it's it's a free registration. You could find it on LinkedIn or Instagram. So thank you. Yo, y'all absolutely should pull up at that event. Um, as you can see, this was just a, a little bit over 30 minutes since she dropped so many gems. So <laughs> 10 hours of this from one of the top cannabis attorneys in New Jersey is definitely going to be crazy. So make sure y'all pull up. Hey, Shirali, it's definitely good connecting with you. And I'll be, you know, I'll be seeing you. Looking forward to talking to you soon. Absolutely. Appreciate you and have a great day. Thanks, everyone. All right, homie. Have a good one. Peace. Peace. And.